Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Frank Pizor. So without further ado, here he is. Good morning. Uh, this is not uh, Retro's 70 look, if you're wondering. And that was not Geraldo Rivera that did the announcements. <laughs> oh, the power of the microphone, huh? If you could open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. We do have a video that we were going to play beforehand, but knowing my propensity for long messages and my slow southern drawl when I speak, uh, I figured I would hold on to it until later on, just in case we ran out of time, considering the fact that we had a missionary commissioning as well. So I don't want you to think that Pastor Dave made a mistake. I'm the one who made the mistake because I didn't communicate to him that we had switched the order of that as well. But we're going to look at Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. And I want to prepare us for two things this week. The first one being the prayer vigil that's coming up Wednesday evening and is going to last until Thursday evening. And there are still some spots open if you'd like to join in on that as well as preparing us for the retreat that is this weekend. Have you ever heard someone say, Man, I have just prayed too much. Have you ever heard someone say that? Or have you ever come across someone who says, Oh, I've prayed enough. I've prayed enough and it's time to move on. It's not often that we hear anyone ever say that, and it's usually someone whom we consider much higher up on the stratosphere of spiritual growth, that we might even consider someone saying like that, something like that. I think most of us live with this cloud, sometimes invisible, sometimes very visible cloud of, I have not prayed enough. And so we walk around with a sense of guilt that we have failed, but we know in our hearts it's a guilt that will always be there because we're never going to pray enough anyway. So we come to a place where we live with that guilt until we hear a message on prayer and that guilt motivates us to pray a little bit more, to see it fade again and find that we're still living with that cloud of guilt. Well, as we work a little bit through this passage, as we're just simply glancing at it, one thing I don't want you to do today is to leave completely with a sense of guilt. Guilt is a good thing, and if you have some guilt because you know that you could and should be praying more but just aren't, that can be a good guilt. But I don't want you to be overwhelmed because I think most of us realize that guilt is not a good motivator. Do you know what I'm saying? You know, a lot of us feel guilty about doing something wrong, and we may change for a little while, but when we begin to get comfortable and the guilt disappears, we go right back to it. I want us to see what could be and get entranced with that. 
For instance, I've been reading, if you want to teach your children about purity, you just don't tell them sex is wrong, you're going to get STDs, and a part of your heart is being ripped out every time you join with someone else, which is true. But you want to give them a bigger picture of, boy, that one honeymoon night when for the first time you experience that sort of intimacy, that's the picture you want to fill them with. That's the kind of thing that I want to fill you with today when it comes to praying on your own, as well as a corporate body. That guilt, though good, is not what motivates us to keep moving forward. Do you hate when somebody answers a question of yours with another question? Isn't it kind of annoying? My kids don't do this. My fingers are crossed. You know what that means. But you say, can you do this? And the reply is, why? Huh? (laughs) No, you don't answer a question with a question because it's very annoying. And I set you up for that because I'm going to ask a whole bunch of questions, not in an annoying sense, but because I want to get us to a place that we understand why I'm answering my question with a series of questions. And the question is very simple. What happens with and through prayer? Why is praying so important? What happens? Here are the questions. When it comes to prayer, how did you receive Christ as Lord and Savior? It's a question. How do you abide in Christ and allow his life to be lived through you? How do you grow as a Christian How do you overcome temptation and weakness? How do you resist Satan and engage in effective spiritual warfare? How do you confess your sins? How can you be filled with the Spirit? How can you obtain guidance and wisdom from God? How can you experience the power to serve God effectively? All those questions are in and of themselves an answer that says prayer. Why is prayer important? What happens? All of these things. In a a very simple way, everything we do as we follow Christ is tied in to praying. It's tied into prayer. Prayer is the heart and soul of every fruitful relationship with God. It is critical to every area in our lives on a daily basis as individual followers of Christ. It is crucial in our everyday life at church. There is a corporate importance to prayer. And what I want us to see here in Acts chapter 1 is that these people understood the importance of prayer and I will say came together for the first post-resurrection retreat in preparation for what God wanted them to do in the future. So even though this weekend is our church gathering together and getting refreshed and resting in God, it's not just to get refreshed and rest in God, but to get refreshed and rest in God for the purpose of going and doing something in response to what God has called us to do. Let's read these verses really quick. And this is after Jesus has ascended into heaven, verse 12. Then they, the disciples, returned to Jerusalem 
from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together, or as it says in the King James, in one accord, they joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Now, the King James says they were all gathering together in one accord, which is proof positive that Honda built larger cars in first century Christianity than they do today. Because they were all in one accord, for those of you in Rio Linda who didn't get that one. You okay? Uh-oh. <laughs> it's turning ugly in here. Come on. You knew it was coming. You just had to know that was coming. Anyway, here's the context. Basically, since the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus into heaven, for 40 days intermittently, Jesus will be spending time with the apostles. And he's continuing their training. And he's giving them a a bigger picture of what's going to happen in their future. And he's not trying to load them down with a sense of guilt, like, come on, guys, if you feel me, everything's ruined and the world's not going to be reached. I think he probably sat down and said, here's how we are going to reach the world, to give them a bigger vision and a hope in the midst of what at one point in time was hopelessness and helplessness when they saw Jesus crucified on the cross and thought that it was all over. So here they are gathering intermittently for 40 days and Jesus is giving them a bigger picture of what is to come. And in the midst of all of this, he gives them two commands and one promise. Two commands and one promise. The commands are go and wait. And when you hear that, it's kind of like that one Three Stooges episode where I don't even remember who it was because the Three Stooges is so 70s ago, kind of like the look I have now, where one of the Stooges, they're, they're sleeping and one of them hits the guy and says, wake up and go to sleep. Doesn't make sense. But those are the two commands that Jesus gives. He says, go. In each one of the Gospels, and in chapter 1 of this chapter here in Acts, he says, go, but wait. And, and I think the apostles, probably like us, in that sense, maybe even a Peter, when he hears Jesus says go, begins to think in his mind, here are the things we need to do in order to go. When you went through the five weeks of Pastor Matt's sermon series, you might be thinking, go, I, I need to go, I need to get out there, I need to do something, I need to respond. And we come up with strategies and plans and ideas and all of these things, and we're rearing to go, but Jesus is saying, go, but wait, because even though I want you to go, you need something first before you get ready to go. He tells them in Luke 24, I I want you to wait until you receive power from on high. Because again, our natural tendency is to move and to get things done. 
I frequently share how even in my own personal quiet times, as I'm sitting there and I'm supposed to be waiting, my mind is going into my whole day and playing over the things that I have to get done and it becomes so distracting that I have to take a little business card, not mine, they're Jen Carlson's because we believe in using everything here at Harvest Community Church. But I write on the back of them, here are the five or six things that I have to get done. Because it becomes a distraction because our tendency is to move and not to wait. I don't know if your prayer experience is like mine at all. All I know is that as I'm praying, I keep thinking I could be doing something else better. Have you ever said that to yourself? And I think when we say that, we misunderstand that Jesus is saying the best thing that you can do is to wait And receive power from on high so that when you do what you do, you do it in the strength of God and not in your own strength and wisdom. Because again, our tendency is to trust our experience, what we know and believe that we can do what needs to be done without realizing that no matter how good we are, if lives aren't changed for eternity, then change is only temporary. Even though it's good, it is not the best. Does that make sense? Two commands. Go and wait. Which leads us to the promise as we see here in Acts chapter 1 is, You shall be my witnesses, that's the go, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. In other words, wait. So when we get to verse 12, 40 days have passed, and now another 10 are going to pass before Pentecost actually happens. And so really, in a sense, these or this group of people are experiencing a 10-day prayer retreat. Not a 10-day prayer vigil, because they might not have had that language. It's not like Peter and, and James and the other guys got together and said, Hey, let's all have a prayer vigil, because the books for prayer vigils weren't written yet. But I thought, they're probably just thinking, let's just get together and let's pray and let's wait for God to give us the Spirit so that when we get out there, what we do is not in our wisdom, not in our strength, but in God's. Because again, remember, the context is Jesus has already sent them out. They have done miraculous things themselves. They have experience. They have seen the risen Christ. They have now a sense of hope that this vision can be fulfilled, but they don't have the fullness of what God wants to give them just yet before they go and become world changers. Waiting is not easy for us. And that's what these people are doing. They're heading into that sort of waiting. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you here today, would like to be world changers. Not necessarily the entire world, but the world in which you live in. How many of you would like to be world changers? How many of you, (coughs) excuse me, how many of you actually have in your mind when you would like to do it and how you would like to see that happen? Uh, Just to go from my own personal experience, I already have in my mind how I would like to change the world. And I don't know if I've shared this, maybe I have. I don't think I've been up here all year. I don't know why I'm in the doghouse, but I haven't been up for all year, but this is my first chance. But I have a vision of changing the world, and I'm not trying to be silly here, of going one day to a wake or a funeral and walking up to the person lying in that casket and saying, in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and live. 
That is my honest picture of how I would like to see my part in beginning to change the world in which I live in because I want people to see that God can do things. That God is about everything. That would be my tendency. Those are my plans. But I think God works in a different way. And for each and every one of us, it is not the same thing that he calls us to do. And so the call for each and every one of us is to go, yes, think of going, but wait upon God and receive from God so that, again, what you do is not because you're doing it, but because God is doing it in you and through you. God's call for each and every one of us as followers of Christ is not to be world changers first. It is to be with him. In Mark chapter 3, when Jesus called his disciples, it says he called them to be with him. That's primary. And then to preach the gospel and do miracles. But first, our primary call is to be with him, to wait in prayer. And as we get to Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, what we see, again, in context, is that Jesus has ascended into heaven. And the disciples are standing around, and they're looking up, and they're seeing Jesus raised up into the clouds. And I think there's at least two reasons why this is happening. And number one is, they've never seen someone fly before. Have you? Okay, now be honest, barring some invisible wires and tricks and stuff like that. If I started to float right now, would that not be cool? I think it would be cool. That would be pretty fun. One of the things, if I had a superpower, I would love to fly. But these guys are standing around and they're like, wow, what's happening here? And two men slash angels need to come up and say, why are you staring up there? Well, one, because, dude, we've never seen anyone fly before. What do you mean, why are we staring? But I also think they're expecting Jesus to be hanging around. For 40 days, he's talking about the establishment of the kingdom of God on earth. And where is he going? And when these two men slash angels say, guys, he's gone, he's ascended into heaven, they say, wow, if that is true, then we need to get to praying and waiting because he has given us a command to go. And now it makes sense. He wants us to wait And he wants us to wait in the sense that this promise of being filled with the Spirit will come to pass. And the going that he wants us to do will be going in power and not just going because he has told us to go. In a sense, it's kind of like a parent. You don't want your children just to obey you because you want them to be good kids. But you want from them a heart that says, I want to do this. Okay, and I know some of you as parents are thinking that is idealistic and it is a dream, but it is what God calls us to, not just to go, but to be with him. Now, as we read these verses in the NIV, not the King James, so you don't get confused here, they all join together constantly in prayer. I think the New American Standard says they devoted themselves continually to prayer. So they're basically having a 10-day prayer meeting. What is missing here, and in some ways it's frustrating, is what did they pray for? I mean, we have an idea. How did they pray? I'm not really sure, but let me imagine or speculate a little here. Please don't go home thinking that I was there and I know what's going on. I know that I look a little old, but I am not that old. 
And I'm going to speculate just a little bit as to what I think was going on. And there's three things that I imagine. I imagine, number one, that they spent a lot of time in praise and thanksgiving. Think about it. For at least three years, they have seen Jesus do things that no one else has ever done. And they've seen him care. They've seen his compassion. They've, they've seen his praying. They've seen the way he's related to people. And I would imagine that they have praised God because they have seen so much of this. And they've been enthused and excited and, and inspired to see what God has done in their midst and plans to do. And so I can see them saying, God, we just thank you for the, the son of that widow that was raised outside of Nain. And we thank you for the way Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And Lord, it was so cool to see a man wrapped in bandages four days in the grave float out of that grave because there's no way he could have walked and how cool that was. And we just thank you because you said you did great things, but greater things will we do. And I can imagine that's just a, a time of just pouring out and just saying, God, these are good things. The other day I sat down with someone in my office and they were explaining how, how terrible life was. And so we began to talk. And as we talked, within about 10 minutes, we walked away with four things that this person could be thankful in the midst of their difficult circumstances. Because what we were doing is not looking at the circumstances from our human perspective, but from what God was doing in this person's life and would ultimately want to do through them. And so I can imagine the apostles are, in a sense, having a praise party because God has done so much, they have seen so much, and now they're expecting so much because Jesus is someone who fulfills his promises and they're trusting in that. I also imagine that there was a lot of confession I would imagine they spent a good time confessing. I, I can imagine them saying, you know what? Father, I am sorry that when push came to shove, I fell and I fled. I took off. I can imagine Peter, even though Jesus had forgiven him in a sense, may have, have been holding on to a little bit and saying, you know what, God, I was chief among them. It's kind of like he says, if there's ever persecution, if I were to say myself even now, if there's ever persecution... And they throw us into these concentration camps that they're building out west for Christians when the tribulation comes. I will stand firm. I promise you, I will stand firm. And then when the jackbooted CIA or FBI or whatever walks in and says, okay, everybody, are you Christians or not? Because if you're Christians, you are going to these concentration camps and the first person out the door is me. I would be embarrassed. I imagine Peter was embarrassed. And so I imagine Peter was even confessing his own pride as to how great he thought he was, saying, hey, even though the rest of these guys are taking off Jesus, I'm not going anywhere. Dude, you're the first one out the door, brother. And I can imagine him saying, God, I apologize to the guys. I'm sorry for that. I can imagine they were maybe broken relationships, maybe a little distrust, wondering, will this guy really have my back? Or when push comes to shove again, will he run? And I would imagine that they spent a lot of time even confessing their own personal sin, even their own unbelief, saying, God, we want to be clean. Uh, Friday, my wife uh, made some meat for us. And uh, sometimes we just let the stuff, the, uh, at the, the juice, just kind of lay out because it's easier to pour. So last night I was pouring it into our little green bottles that we drink the mineral water out of. And uh, it was a little scary because I have this little funnel that I put in the bottle so it goes in really nice. And you can just see the fat. You know the fat that kind of sits there with the lamyun that I no longer eat because it's gross and disgusting after you see the fat afterwards, realizing that it's in your body clogging everything. 
But you just see that fat just going in. And every once in a while, I got to get a chopstick to poke it through because the fat is just clogging up the funnel because it can't get into the bottle. Isn't that disgusting? Pastor Matt was telling me today that Americans eat about 275 pounds of meat a year. And I have to say, I'm a little bit more than that. But I have more vegetables. When I order my hot dog, I get extra tomatoes. Kind of balance it out, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yeah, it is sad, isn't it? <laughs> Got to eat more fish. Anyway, but then it's mer- mercury that you get there. and, and uh, Postmodern moment, sorry. Okay. So I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, why do I eat so much meat? And it makes me realize in, the, in a very similar manner, it is though sin does the same thing. It clogs our connection with God. So yeah, maybe some spiritual stuff drips through into the bottle. But when you have all that garbage there, you are clogging up what could be a generous flow of God's grace and mercy and compassion and everything else. And so I imagine these guys spent a lot of time confessing and getting things clean because when that promise was fulfilled, they wanted to be ready. And I think it's similar for us as well. So as we're heading into the retreat and as we're heading into the vigil, I'm encouraging even now, just begin to think and reflect, you know, what do I need to have happen in my life to get this relationship that I have with God and those around me right so that I can enter into this with a sense of purity. And I would even say for myself, if there's anyone here that I have offended you in any way, shape or form, please don't hold on to that. Bring it to me and let's get it set forth. Let's get it set straight. Because when we hit this prayer vigil and when we hit this retreat, I'd like to see our church as a cleansed church. One that is able to pray and see God do some big things. Third thing that I imagine is this. I imagine that there was a lot of petition. I imagine that they were praying like crazy. I imagine that they were saying, God, like uh, like Moses, please go with us. Fill us with this promise. Because here's the job description that Jesus gave them. You will be world changers. You will go into the world and you will preach the gospel. And miracles will happen in my name, through you. You're going to see a lot of exciting things. You're going to meet new people, go to new places. And by the way, just to let you know, here else is what's going to happen in your lives. You will be hated You will have trouble. You will be kicked out of the one place of worship that you have grown up in all your life and think that God is always there. You will be imprisoned. You will be beaten. In fact, you will be killed. Okay, guys, let's go. How many of you would like to sign up for something like that? I don't think many of us would. So I can imagine they're praying like crazy, saying, God, we need you. Yes, to be a part of your mission, to be a part of your call to change this world. But we're going to need you. We're going to need the strength to be able to bear under this that's going to happen to us that is going to be difficult and dangerous. I mean, we are asking in a culture that has a general acceptance of God to believe in a God who is different from the one that they believe in. We do not face the same difficulties that they faced in the first century. We face a new difficulty that requires a new sense of wisdom from God so that when we speak into people's lives, because we have prayed, it is because God has spoken into our lives and given us wisdom and strength to reach their hearts. 
So I imagine they were praying like crazy because they wanted God to go with them because they could probably figure we could do some of it, but we really can't do what God wants us to do. Now, we still have time, and I hope that... Andy, you think the video's ready? Oh, hey, sorry about that. Um, Ed, you look like Andy, but Andy's back there. You're both fine-looking young men. We're not ready. Okay, so uh, forget the video. But it's a, it's a cool video, and I'll, I'll try to explain it a little bit because I, I just saw it's on YouTube, uh, and if you want to see the video on YouTube, it's under Transformations, and it's basically three different cities in our world that were drug and crime infested, and groups of followers of Christ got together and they prayed like crazy, and they said, "God, without you, there's no way." That anything is going to happen. And they prayed. And one of the cities, in fact, it's in a book by C. Peter Wagner. And it's a very interesting story how in this one African city, church planter after church planter would come into the city and they would last a few months and they would leave. And there was this one woman who was a witch doctor, which after they prayed, they figured out this woman is really the problem. And there were accidents right outside of her place where she had her little witch doctor house or whatever it is. And they were on the streets. Accidents would always happen and people would die in these accidents. And there was no explanation for these accidents, but they would keep happening. And so the one pastor who you would see in the video that we have but aren't going to show you began to pray with a team of people for this lady to be removed. And eventually she was removed. And once she was removed, this city where government officials themselves, not with any sense of spirituality, didn't want to go to because it was the end of their career and the corruption and the violence and all those things threatened even them. They didn't want to go. Once this group of people got together and they prayed and removed this woman's presence, that entire city changed. That is transformation. That is the transformation that I think each and every one of you here today that follows Christ wants to be a part of, but we don't experience it because we don't get enough together with our Father as a family or even as individuals. Now, I want to apply it in a very simple manner. This week, we are, for the first time that I've been here, maybe it's happened before, but gathering together as a church, as a corporate body, to do what we're calling a prayer vigil. It's a 26-hour prayer vigil, basically. And the call is very simple. We're coming together and we're praying. And we're praying for God to speak into us and to speak through us, not just for the retreat, but for our community as a whole. And I know it's a little bit scary because what we're doing is we're asking people in the church to spend one hour in a specific place at the church office. And we're asking people to come for this 26-hour period to pray and ask God. Yes, we will give praise and thanksgiving. Yes, we will make confession. Yes, we will make petition because we are saying, God, we don't want to be a status quo church. We want to be where you want us to be and do the things that you want us to do in the power of your spirit. So I'm encouraging. We have it on, on our website. Just go to the prayer vigil, see where you can sign up. If somebody has already signed up in that spot, I encourage you to sign up in that spot as well, unless, of course, you like them and think this is an opportunity for you to have a date that is not allowed. If you, right? Amen. If your group wants to get together 
and pray as a group. This is the time to do it. Now, some of you may be asking, why are we doing it in one place? It is because in one place we are gathering and there's a sense of accountability because, you know, if you're like me, if we all play in 24, 25 different places, eventually someone's going to fall asleep. There's a little bit more accountability for us gathering together in one place. And my hope is that God shows us as a church that times like these are times that he will bless, that we will do it more and more frequently. Because one of the things I learned about two months ago when I went to Harvest Bible Chapel for their Harvest University where they train their leaders, uh, just kind of as a side note, it was a real cool experience. Uh, as they go around the room and they're interest, in, introducing everybody, you know, it's like, I'm Harvest from St. Louis, I'm Harvest from uh, Grand Rapids because it's a Harvest Bible Chapel thing and I'm the last guy and I said, I'm Harvest from Hoffman Estates and they're all like, Harvest and Hoffman Estates? <laughs> Harvest and Hoffman, Harvest Community Church. We get your phone calls, but we're not your church. But all that to say, here is a mega church that has thousands of people, and one of the pillars of their church is prayer. And they gather every Saturday at 1 p.m., and people pray for the next 24 hours until 1 p.m. on Sunday afternoon for that church. And they are seeing people come to Christ. They are seeing lives transformed. They are seeing their church grow. They are planting churches all over the nation and probably one day all over the world. And it's not because James McDonald is a better preacher than anyone here. And it's not because they have so many white folk because it ain't a white folk thing. It's because they pray. And I don't want to be Harvest Bible Chapel. And I don't want to be Willow Creek. And I don't want to be Saddleback. But I want to be a part of Harvest Community Church as what God wants us to be at Harvest Community Church. And that's not going to happen unless we come together as a family. Not because of guilt, but because we see what could be. And Jesus has given us a vision that is bigger than who we are, that we cannot fulfill, only He can fill. And he's invited us to join him in this adventure. It's not going to be easy, but he wants us to come and he wants us to pray. Now, if you haven't signed up or you don't want to sign up online or you have any other questions, feel free to ask me. If you have already signed up, what I have here today, and anyone who's afraid of signing up, is the guidelines that we're using for this prayer vigil. And I just want to have one little thing, disqualifier. If you add up the minutes, if I'm not mistaken, it's more than 60 minutes. So please don't tell me, hey, you don't know how to add. I understand. I'm putting that extra in there to give you the hope that you can pray for more than 60 minutes. Take this guide with you. It is free. We may move it around a little bit come Wednesday. But this will give you an idea of the fact that you can, as an individual or as a group, definitely pray for an hour because we just need God. And as we head into this retreat, I don't want it to be just any retreat. Every retreat you go to is good, right? You always learn something and you walk away with some change. But I would like to see this be kind of like a Pentecost type retreat where this retreat marks this church and it won't happen unless we pray, which why don't we do right now? Our Father in heaven, Yes, we call you Lord, Savior, and God, and Almighty, but also Father.
Because the one thing you wish to impress upon us is that we are your children. We are a part of your family. And you call us to the family business, which is to seek the lost and to see Jesus save them. Father, we may need some guilt to provoke us, to prod us. But I think you call us to something bigger that motivates us. And that is to be world changers. In the worlds that we live in, when we read the Bible, we see the highlights of great saints who have done great things. But it's probably closer to the truth that ordinary followers of Jesus, silversmiths, farmers, pharmacists, consultants, engineers, just walked across the room, shared their relationship with Jesus and his power, and saw that message transform lives that's where we would like to be and it's what we'd like to experience so we ask as a body as we gather for this vigil as we gather for this retreat please mark us because we want to wait but we're also raring to go Fulfill your promise to fill your people that we might be your witnesses wherever we go, whether it's across the room, to Tuba City, to Turkey, to Kenya, to Indonesia, to wherever. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.